Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, the podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Okay, so I was going to crack open a bottle of oak tree wine, and I was all excited and ready to go with that. Uh, but we have a new, um, what is it, a uh, alcohol puppy, wine puppy <laughs> ah. in the house. And uh, puppy is down for nap time. In uh, the cellar is where the puppy is down for nap time. <laughs> <laughs> so I could not crack into my cellar to uh, get out that uh, oak tree wine. So instead, I, uh, I just went with the good old standby here. Uh, everybody who's ever listened to this podcast knows I love my godfathers. Uh, so a little scotch, a little amaretto, and, uh, and I'm sipping away. Uh, but welcome back, Michael. You're from Oak Tree Winery. Uh, and I, did I see an empty glass there? I think that might be a crime. Uh, it is, yes. Uh, it's in the middle of the daytime, and you know I uh, probably could crack one open, but uh, I'm going to save it for later. Yeah, there's that whole middle of the day thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> not slowing me down, clearly, though. So we're good. No, but it's all good. But I think your drink is actually more appropriate for our topic anyway. So I give you props for that. Yeah, there you go. And that, that was kind of how I justified it a little bit there, too. So uh, before we dive into that, though, uh, uh, some people may not have heard previous episodes with you. Uh, again, love to have you back. You're always one of our uh, more popular and downloaded guests. So uh, you always come with a great uh, fun facts and energy and all that other good stuff. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, uh, and a little bit about Oak Tree Winery? Great. Thanks, Mark, again for having us. It's always a joy being on here. And uh, uh, that was nice because you kind of put me in an uncomfort zone to learn things about I don't quite know. So uh, I like learning things that you kind of uh, make me want to learn more about. So I appreciate that. Uh, so Oak Tree Winery uh, here in San Jose. Um, we are doing really well, surprisingly, during this whole pandemic. Um, so moving along, had a good harvest this year. Um, brought on a new winemaker as of September 1st as well, who is partner, uh, part of the organization. So um, another person to help out uh, and uh, looking forward to having some longevity with a uh, partner who's kind of involved in, in, in part of the, the company now. So excited for that. And then that is a couple exciting. Other- it is. And I think it's nice having someone who was an assistant winemaker for many years now become a full winemaker for our company, at least our winery and give them that ability to shine. Nice. Nice. And yeah. And that allows you to, cause as I know with a lot of these smaller wineries, uh, you're doing everything, right? So it gives you a chance to focus more on some of the operational side and sales side, I would imagine while he kind of focuses on, on getting some more of that good quality wine out there. That's the exact idea. You're right. Nice. Okay, but I interrupted you. You said a couple other uh, exciting things that were going on out there? Or? Yeah, just uh, so this year we also uh, spun off some new things to help uh, diversify some of our sales and bring some fun things. Uh, we're doing some uh, wine barrel home decor items, anything from a cheese plate to a, uh, a wine bowl to uh, a charcuterie um, lazy 
Susan to Adirondack chairs, uh, wine barrel, um, wine racks. So a lot of fun, unique uh, things that we are repurposing from wine barrels uh, and perfect time for the holidays. Nice, nice. That is kind of fun. And it's a great way to make sure some of that oak gets used. If anybody's listened to our episode on barreling, uh, that's one I did with uh, Jen. Uh, it's, I think it's two barrels per tree or something like that. And it takes that oak tree a good 50 plus years to get to that point. So it's great to be using those barrels for something else. Reuse, repurpose and recycle. That's kind of the name of the game. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, and I agree too. I, that's a nice little transition, trying to do something different or, or adjusting with the times, right? Because uh, that's what uh, a bunch of people had to do during the time of prohibition. Uh, was that was that a nice little segue? I, I don't know. Perfect. I don't it. know. <laughs> I think I stretched <laughs> that one a little bit, but hey, we'll go with it. Um, anyway, I think like you, this was one that I definitely had some interest in, but I didn't know a lot about, and it's a little bit of a, a different topic or different approach to kind of a lot of the things that, especially that you and I have talked about, we've talked a lot of wine, but it is still a very key uh, moment in American history. And it's one that has actually affected so many things. And, and a lot of the things we do today uh, and the reasons we have them actually come from prohibition. So that's going to be kind of fun to talk to uh, some of that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, the things that have shaped out because of it. So yeah, let's get into it. Awesome. Well, so for those who did not know, uh, prohibition, uh, it's, it was a constitutional ban on the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages from 1920 to 1933, which is I, for some reason in my head, I thought it only lasted a few years, but that, that's Same 13 here. years. That's, that's a pretty long time to be <laughs> dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although what I find in what I, one of the things I found very interesting in this is if you look at those words, it is the production, importation, transportation, and sale. It says nothing about the consumption <laughs> uh, or exactly. uh, ownership thereof any kind of alcohol. So uh, for some reason, I thought it was like, you know, it's, it's illegal to even have a drink, but you could drink up. It just, you couldn't make it, import it, transport it or sell it. Right. Agreed. I, I thought the same thing. Uh, and to come to find out it's not illegal to drink alcohol during prohibition. Who would have guessed that? Yeah. So a lot of people, uh, if you had your own little private stash, and apparently there were some people who had some wealth who went out and bought out liquor stores like, you know, the day before or weeks before or whatever. And so they had a perfectly legal, um, I don't know, holding, if you will, of, of stash. alcohol stash. There you go. That they were able to do that. However, most people, uh, you know, maybe had a bottle or two on hand. And uh, so they were a little bit less in luck. I think I have a very large seller. Uh, I think at the moment it's uh, 250 ish bottles. But when I think about that, that would not get me through 13 years. Maybe a year. Yeah, at best. <laughs> <laughs> at best, let's be honest. So uh, anyway, so no, so that's kind of essentially uh, what it is or was, I think. Um, and it really kind of came about as, uh, you know, and, and there's some legitimacy to, there was a lot of, uh, a big alcohol problem. I mean, there still kind of is. There's a lot of reasons 
you know, why alcohol is a bad thing. We don't, we, we have a lot of fun with it on the show, but we definitely don't want to glorify it. And especially because there, there are people who do have issues. So there's that there was problems with alcoholism, you know, the family violence. And there, at the time too, there was a lot of political corruption that really kind of happened in the saloons and, and around alcohol where they're, you know, those backroom deals, if you will. Yep. And they really felt a lot of that was all based on or around alcohol. And I think it, it was much more prevalent than I thought at the time. So you, you think about that. I mean, now I think if you were to say to anybody today, Hey man, we, we should ban alcohol. Um, you know, I, I think there would be a riot, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, but at the time, this was an actual amendment to the constitution when it passed. I, and this shocked me too. It was a 68% people, uh, votes in the house of representatives and 76% in the Senate. And then it got ratified by 46 out of the existing 48 states. So that is overwhelming support. Matter of fact, it was vetoed by the president and then overridden. Um, so I was actually, I think, a little bit surprised. I don't know if you were to find out how, again, knowing, even knowing all the problems and challenges with it, um, how much uh, it was supported by everybody, mm -hmm. it seems, almost at the time. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, you kind of hear about, again, prohibition happening, don't really know why it happened or even where it kind of goes through legislation. But even the lot of the um, uh, different groups that were in support of it that had were very influential uh, in politics that kind of got that to go through as well. Um, was really just fascinating. Well, there were some exceptions. Do you have any some insights into some of the, the, the different exceptions that were out there? Yeah. So um, I did learn that uh, drugstores continued to sell alcohol uh, as long as they classified it as medicine. Um, so well, I just large... want to say that's what my godfather here is right now. That's <laughs> purely medicinal. <laughs> exactly. Self-medication always works yes. the best. <laughs> Uh, so medicinal whiskey was pretty popular um, back there in these times. Uh, to treat yeah, you could get a prescription, as, right? A prescription exactly. for whiskey. I need one of those. Just, I'm sorry. Go just, ahead. Just like the early uh, prescriptions for other uh, drugs that were now legal or illegal. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, toothaches to the flu uh, were some of the things. And these patients, these doctors were doing prescriptions and, and selling them by the pint, uh, these hard liquors. And it was a 10 day type of um, uh, prescription. Uh, and some of even the things that are on there as labels is take three ounces every hour to stimulate uh, until stimulated. It's like, that's a great way to drink. Okay, sign me up. <laughs> drink until stimulated. I like that. And, and three ounces. So that's like a shot is usually one to two ounces, depending on what you're right. drinking. So that's basically a... a generous poor shot every hour <laughs> you're three hours in and you're you're feeling good right <laughs> i'm stimulated i'm good <laughs> <laughs> or i'm gonna pass out one or the other yeah either way right <laughs> my exactly. problem solved my flu is over <laughs> or at least i'm not thinking about the flu at that point yep so then many i heard that uh, a lot of speakeasies then try to transition into becoming a pharmacy so they can legitimize some of these uh, sales. Um, and then I also learned that uh, a fun little tidbit was 
This actually helped the chain store Walgreens grow from 20 locations to over 500 locations during the 20s. I had no idea. Yeah. Go Walgreens. So Walgreens is based on uh, selling alcohol during prohibition, or at least that's where they got their big growth. There you go. Nice. I love it. Um, well, let's see. So some other things, uh, if you were, uh, uh, so wine, so for wineries, a lot of them, religious use of wine was also permitted, right? So uh, yep. they permit wine uh, or they would still be able to produce wine and then sell it to the churches uh, and other places for religious purposes. Yeah, a lot of these uh, wineries were able to do that, which is a, a way to kind of keep them afloat. And also some of the breweries were, were still doing that as well. And they created a thing called near beer that had just 0.5% <laughs> alcohol still contained in it. Yeah, so you'd have to drink a lot of that to be feeling good. <laughs> They would also put out the, uh, what was they called? Um, malt syrup, which is a uh, extract mm -hmm. uh, that they could, you basically, you take the extract, add a little water, add a little yeast, and you got beer. So it's basically uh, a home brew kit is, is what a lot of them were kind of selling. Right. And some of the wineries yeah, I think were even selling wine, wine drinks, doing... right? Right, yeah, something similar. So again, concentrated wine grapes to help you create your at home uh, own wine yeah which that's which was dangerous too though and that's one of the things i think at this time is because it was illegal and a lot of things were not regulated if you weren't i mean you know the pharmacy some of those places perhaps but uh you know like that bathtub gin you know Oof. people making that stuff in their bathtub thousands of people were dying like every year from alcohol poisoning because some of that stuff was uh it, it wasn't healthy to be drinking yeah, and, and I'm sure they didn't know what they were doing, and they just kind of just trying to make something, and next thing you know, you're killing someone. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of, and and there's a lot of, um, I think these days, romance, if you will, around the time of prohibition, and you had the, uh, you were mentioning the speakeasies and the bootleggers and the mobsters and all that, and you know, you kind of had all the movies around it. Uh, and, and, and so there's a, a lot of kind of history around in there. And, and I, and I, what I found though, is that a lot of that is, it's maybe a little dubious. Like I said, it may mm. have been romanticized. Uh, yeah. Was crime really as bad as, as we've gotten to think that it was, uh, was the world really that horrible? And, it, and when you start to look at the facts, it looks like actually, you know, crime was no higher than it was before. Uh, that a lot of those organized crime rings existed prior to. <laughs> so it's not like they just magically popped up overnight. Uh, and in the meantime, they actually did have a reduction in like child deaths, absenteeism at work, uh, alcohol related diseases. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I'm not saying we need to go back to it. And I'm not saying it was a good idea. <laughs> um, I think what I am saying is that there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of uh, question about how much of the bad was bad and how much of the good was actually good, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I saw some facts that were saying that up to uh, as much as 70% of alcohol consumption was down uh, during the early years of the prohibition. Yeah, which actually kind of led to a little bit of one of the reasons why uh, it came back was, you know, you had the Great Depression and you had some other things. And apparently prior to prohibition, 
14% of federal, state, and local tax revenues came from alcohol. So if 14% of your budget comes from alcohol and all of a sudden alcohol is illegal, right. you just take a 14% pay cut. And then now, you know, the economy is in the depression and everything else, uh, you're hurting. And, and that was one of the things that actually, you know, was driving them to bring it back. Let's bring this stuff back and let's tax it and let's get some of that revenue back. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny how those cycles kind of go, right? And, and the timing is really interesting how that came through. Uh, but yeah, at that point in time, people needed the money. They figured they could tax it. And uh, it was a good source of revenue to bring it back. Definitely. Definitely. Well, um, hey, what else have you got for us? Let's. Uh, I mean, I've got some stuff around the ending and, and kind of some other fun stuff. But uh, I know you've got some fun facts sitting there waiting for me. I do. I always do, quite a Michael. bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the other really interesting ones, and you mentioned um, how people are still uh, staying afloat or making money. Um, one of the things that I read up about was the different breweries that were um, trying to try and transform in the, into something different. Uh, I think it was uh, Anheuser-Busch and Yingling uh, turned into ice cream parlor, uh, making um, factories. And, yeah, is that uh, crazy? <laughs> that is, I would never have guessed that. Yeah, and and I I don't think the equipment is all that similar. So I was kind of curious how you went from beer to ice cream, but you know, uh, go them. Uh, clearly, I don't know how successful it was because you don't have the ice cream anymore, but you still got the beer. So, <laughs> well, and well, and Indiana Hatcher Bush are still around. So I mean, it got them through. Apparently. Definitely, definitely. And then you had someone like Coors who is doing production of pottery and ceramics so talk about a whole different course yeah and that was another one that had me scratching my head i mean okay <laughs> at least ice cream is still in the you know consumables but yep. to go yep. from beer to pottery and ceramics it, it's uh i i mean i don't know i'm, I'm picturing all the uh all the brewers on little spin wheels, you know, kind of crazily like <laughs> spinning stuff there or, or throwing, I think is what it's called. And it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, I, I think a different use of there's a whole different skill set going on there. Completely. Uh, I also learned that a few of the states didn't enact the enforcement of the code. Um, and it was pretty easy to do. Uh, they just didn't have enough, um, enforcement, law enforcement to enforce it. And in for states like Maryland, uh, they didn't enforce it. It was kind of known as the anti-prohibition state of the union. Uh, and then I understand New York followed suit, uh, had some appeals as well. Uh, and they just became, like they said, lackadaisical about enforcing um, the prohibition um, the laws. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and that was interesting too. Is it was a federal law, but the, there was no... Um funding to uh enforce it as, or as a whole really and so they just kind of said hey states you know get it done and yep. so some of the states did and some of the states were like eh. <laughs> you know and, like i said maryland and so it was never really uh, uh enforced there so i guess if you wanted to drink you just hopped on over to maryland which actually yeah. is really close to dc several other places there so they were probably doing just fine they probably weren't complaining that they weren't enforcing it there <laughs> you know they needed their liquor anyways yes, uh, yeah and then on the other side of the prohibition after it got repealed uh, and turned um 
States like Kansas and Oklahoma uh, remained a dry state until 1948 and 1959, um, and then Mississippi until 1966. Yeah, yeah, and actually there are still counties now, uh, counties and municipalities, which is cities basically, that are still considered dry, and dry was the term for you know, yep. no alcohol. So I find it interesting that there's still several counties. And I mean, we're talking, I want to say it was a, a hundred or two. So it's not a, a small number of counties in the United States where it's still uh, illegal to, to have a drink basically. Yeah. 10 different States still have those counties that uh, are dry. A uh, fun fact here is that uh, president Woodrow Wilson had a pretty nice little personal wine stash in the wine cellar there at the White House. Mm. And uh, he left office in 1921, which is right after yeah. you know, prohibition kicked in. And if, again, it's not illegal for him to have it, but it is illegal to transport it. <laughs> so he had to try to figure out how to get the wine out of the White House and to his home, his new house. And apparently he was granted an exception from Congress in order to be able to move the wine from the White House to his to his home. So, uh, you know, yeah. that's a, an Must interesting nice. thing. Yeah, well, yeah, you're a president, man. <laughs> well, he wasn't the president anymore, but still, you know. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. You got a little sure he... uh, res residual respect, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably bargained that before he left. I'm sure he saw that coming. Well, there was, I, I read about this, the guy or the man in the green hat who supposedly, I guess, supplied a lot of booze. He claimed to supply up to 80% of Congress with alcohol <laughs> illegally. And he was allowed to just roam all the, the halls and buildings. And he got arrested a couple different times with several bottles of uh, alcohol on him. But apparently he was, he was the dealer, if you will, or supplier to about 80% of Congress. So <laughs> I, I don't think they were hard to convince to, uh, to do that. And again, I think that kind of speaks to, it's like, I was surprised at how many people supported it and how many people got involved with it and, you know, and brought it in, but then how many people really just ignored it after it was in place, right? And or just intentionally broke the rules, including this Congress who, you know, what, 76% of them, you know, supported it, but then 80% of them were <laughs> drinking illegally. So go figure out that there's definitely some overlap in that. And how much did it pass by again? Yeah, 60%. So yeah, weird how those well, yeah, numbers passed up. by 76% in the 76%. Senate. But he's claiming he was supplying 80% of them. So even <laughs> if his number is super generous, there's yeah. there's definitely some overlap. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, I had also learned that uh, this wasn't the first time that uh, prohibition was tried uh, in the U.S. as well. So back in uh, 1851, the Maine legislator uh, solution, uh, passed a statewide prohibition on the sale of alcohol in uh, 1851. So uh, it's not the first time. Yeah, you'd think they would have learned their lesson. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Yeah, so uh, well, so while it's going rampant, uh, we've talked a little bit of reference, a speakeasy. And a speakeasy was basically a club where you could go get a drink. Uh, and, uh, you know, illegally, of course. Uh, a lot of times they posed as uh, soda centers or a gaming center or I don't know anything other than what they they were and you'd go in there and you kind of get a drink and 
says uh, in 1925, which is about five years after it was enacted, there's estimated to be up to 100,000 speakeasy clubs just in New York City. <laughs> so that's crazy. Several thousand in Chicago, uh, so on and so forth. So, um, And the speakeasies got their name because uh, you would have to give a password. So basically you had to whisper that code word. It was actually... You know, I, I guess this is fully legit. All the movies where you knock on the door and the little window opens and, you know, right. what's the password? That's where that all kind of came from. And so that was a legitimate thing. And you had to whisper the code word or password to get to be allowed in. And and so you're speaking easy because you're whispering the yep. code word there. And that's kind of apparently where they got their name. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and again, you've also seen in those movies as well where they cops come and raid them they quickly transform into oh we're not doing anything here we're very nonchalant so i wonder how true to that uh, that really is and how quickly some of these stores could uh, dump stuff or hide stuff down a chute uh, to uh convince the the police that they're nothing more than just a sort of shop yeah yeah because you know a lot of those places where it's like casino tables and stuff they just flip it over or whatever <laughs> but those drinks have got to be messy when they're just flipping over right or, or whatever and it's it gonna be. smell i mean because yeah. a lot of the alcohol was just poorly made alcohol and i'm sure we all know that's where all the cocktails came from to hide all that poor taste and smell so yeah, yeah walk into any bar and there's no hiding that there's alcohol there. Like I said, between the smell and everything else going on, that's not easy to clean up. So, but I'm guessing, um, I, I, again, with as, as rampant of the um, people ignoring it are, I'm sure there were some steadfast people that like, you know, this is the law and, and enforced it. But I'm guessing a lot of those police knocking on the door had the password themselves and they were in there right. for a beverage. They they weren't wearing the uniform. Exactly. They, uh, they needed their own needs. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, that said, though, the speakeasies, they did give us uh, two good things that I found that kind of came from the, the speakeasies. One is our cocktails and our pre-dinner drinks. They kind of existed prior to this, but because of prohibition, uh, in the United States anyway, uh, if you wanted to go out to dinner, you could not get a drink at dinner. So you would go to a speakeasy before dinner, mm. have yourself a beverage, and then you'd go on to dinner. So kind of that pre-dinner drink, that cocktails, the, the drinks before the meal right. really kind of took on during that time. And when it's over, I mean, why would you stop doing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we still do that today, don't we? Definitely. I know I do. I know I do. It's like, you know, what, what are we going to have for our drink? And then what are we going to have with dinner? Right. <laughs> so it's a pre-dinner drink and then the dinner drink. I'm and sure, then, uh, I'm sure the flask became very popular back then as well. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, you know, my favorite flask story, totally unrelated, total digression here. <laughs> we don't care. Um, <laughs> I was in Scotland and I was on a bus and we're driving down the street and this is about 8 9 a.m in the morning it was a it was a cold morning i'm not going to deny that but uh you know the bus is sitting there to light or something this gentleman steps out of what was clearly his home uh takes a deep breath pulls a flask out <laughs> takes a deep drink tucks it back into his jacket and then walks off all happy <laughs> i'm just nice like, and warm 
<laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, no, there's a start to your day right there. I mean, like if you're carrying a flask and you're, you know, you're, that may not have been his first drink, but either way, it's 839 in the morning. Now it is combating the cold. I'll give him all that. But uh, I just, I was just like, wow, that's like interesting. <laughs> Let's just go with interesting. It's cultural. <laughs> cultural there you go there you go so scotland is where we should be is that what you're saying <laughs> on the warm days <laughs> on the warm days yes yes the cold days do get cold that is for sure um oh but it's so anyway the other good thing that kind of came from the speakeasies real quick is that prior to this and again this is united states uh, of america specific um where women, it was very much frowned upon for them to drink and to have a drink. So especially in public. And so with the uh, advent of the speakeasies, women, it, it was no longer looked at or frowned upon, you know, they'd go to the speakeasy and get a drink there, because that's where they could get a drink, right. And so everybody kind of went there to get their drinks. And it really kind of changed uh, their ability and or acceptance for them to drink to participate in the world of alcohol. Uh, many of them actually did become bootleggers or go on <laughs> to um, after prohibition, uh, start distilleries, other things that direction. And uh, of course, the alcohol industry as a whole was very happy to kind of have this new demographic that they could openly target uh, and, and kind of go after and sell to. So kind of, I guess, women's alcohol liberation <laughs> i don't know how you'd kind of do that but but anyway it went a long way to to really open up and allow them to um to drink at will yeah i mean i, I really didn't understand or, or realize that so that's uh i mean what could they do back then unfortunately they couldn't vote a lot of things they couldn't do so i'm really not surprised yeah it, it's kind of a uh <laughs> One of those shameful things when you stop and think about it that it's like you know yeah uh it wasn't that long ago and and uh, then you realize how limited uh, a lot of their um opportunities i mean if you want to call it just even rights i mean let's just go with basic rights kind of really were right so it was yeah. just even having a a beverage an alcoholic beverage was was a uh, an issue so I'm glad that the, they got past that. And then I think that also helped lead to the suffrage, which was, you know, their right to vote and, and several other things kind of came from uh, and or stem from that and some of the things that I was reading. Very cool. Yeah. So it was what, 1933 uh, with the 21st Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, it repealed the 18th Amendment and allowed everybody to drink. Again, we've noticed that was the federal level. Some states took a little longer to come around and some counties still are not there. But they say uh, the president at the time, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, celebrated by enjoying a dirty martini, which is apparently mm. his favorite drink. And uh, <laughs> if that's his favorite drink... I'm doubting that was his favorite drink from 13 years prior and that that was his first one since. <laughs> I have a feeling you're correct. Yeah. So again, not even, not even the president was really kind of full on uh, acknowledging that as, uh, as the law of the land, if you will. And well, it sounds I think like. Next, I, was, I just think the next day a, a big truck of beer was delivered to the White House as well. So although that's, now that I'm thinking about that at the time that I read that, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, I know the law 
it's no longer against the law, but they had to have a truck full of beer to deliver. And I doubt they made it that day. <laughs> so... Exactly. <laughs> Funny how that worked. <laughs> right. Well, also keep in mind, though, too, um, when he was running for office, that was one of his biggest things that he pitched was to tax alcohol, get out of the Great Depression. Um, and he won overwhelmingly uh, by a landslide because he used that uh, in his favor as well. So they knew going in once he became president and this was going to happen anyways. Yeah, that was kind of beginning of the end there, right? Exactly. Nice. Well, I've got another fun fact, but before I throw that one out there, I want to see what else do you have? Anything else we want to kind of cover on prohibition? I mean, this is the, you know, this is the unsophisticated palette version. This is not the deep history dive where we're, you know, going into all of it. But again, it's just kind of a general overview. Let everybody understand what it is, just lest anybody is disappointed that this has not been this very factual, historical kind of a uh, <laughs> presentation that we're delivering here. Yeah, I mean, it's still a lot of fun information, tidbits that I uh, got to kind of learn about that I had no idea. Again, I just knew kind of one side to it and all the ins and outs. The last kind of thing that I read uh, as far as as the repeal came around is uh, in New Orleans, they uh, honored this celebration with a 20-minute cannon fire ceremony. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and that's where... Roosevelt was, I guess, when that happened and drank his dirty martini right afterwards. Nice. I had no idea. 20 minute cannon. I mean, that's, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I mean, that'd be impressive today, let alone then. Right. Right. I mean, you would think fireworks, but cannon. Wow. That's one way to go. Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes of cannons. No shortage of iron there. Right. <laughs> and, and, or, or, or hearing loss either. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, then I'm just going to kind of throw out here um, the one of the other things that the good old, according to internet lore anyway, um, <laughs> uh, that uh, prohibition gave us is the Long Island iced tea. Mm. And apparently, uh, it uh, first surfaced in the 20s uh, in Long Island. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, in a community called Long Island in Kingsport, Tennessee. And apparently there was old man Bishop, who was a bootlegger. And I don't know if we defined bootlegger, but basically a bootlegger is the guy illegally selling alcohol, right? Selling it, yep. making, they got the, you ever watch the shows, the moonshine guy, you know, making it out in the, the shed or something like that exactly. and going out and selling it. That's, that's your bootlegger. And uh, he wanted to find a way to kind of sell and serve alcohol so he kind of discovered that if you just mix gin, rum, tequila, and whiskey all together, it looked kind of like iced tea. <laughs> and so you could call it an iced tea and sell it as an iced tea and people could drink it. And I mean, I don't know how many people are actually fooling, but uh, it looks iced tea-ish. And so that's kind of thus yep. the advent of the Long Island iced tea. Well, at least they still covered it up with a little bit of sour mix to kind of sweeten it a little bit. And uh, I wonder if the splash of Coke was back then or if that was a new twist that came about afterwards. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure on that one because it doesn't mention uh, the sour or the, uh, or the Coke. So that was probably added a little bit, a little bit later on. I would guess so, so as well. 
for all of us who've enjoyed a, a good Long Island iced tea, and usually you only need to enjoy one. If you've enjoyed two, you're probably past enjoying, yeah. <laughs> um, or at least headed on your way to not feeling so great. Um, that we could, we have uh, prohibition to thank for that. There we go. I was a fan of the Grateful Dead drink uh, for a little while, which oh, is a Long Island iced tea. Instead of Coke, you add Chambord. Oh, and it's called a what? And so it's called the Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. So yes, you just need one of those, or you're going to be dead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I like that. That name fits and everything else. That's awesome. Okay, and see, and we lo- that's one of the things I've loved about doing this is uh, all those drinks that you'd never heard of or or don't know a lot about. At least I haven't, and 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 they kind of keep coming out here. So um, that's awesome. For sure. All right. Uh, yeah, if you if we if you got anything else, let us know. If not, uh, how can we get more information about Oak Tree Winery? Thanks again, Mark. Uh, of course, we have oaktreewinery.com. You can always go there and check out what the newest um, sale is going on right now. We have a Thanksgiving three bottle uh, special happening. Uh, wines can be um, bought there. The uh, home decor for the different wine barrel pieces can be bought there as well. Of course, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so check us out there and don't forget to also check out uh, siliconvalleywineries.com as well. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so if anybody wants more information about the unsophisticated palette, we're available at the And until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>